Okay, campers, rise and shine. And don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Groundhog Day mac and cheese next. When your weekend's all spent up and you got Monday coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. Hello, welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage. And she majored in 19th century French poetry, Shannon Coppage. I wish. And he's the fastest Jack in Jefferson County, Chad Newman. What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, glad to be here with the Coppages. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out from the motor club. Well, I had the Jack and it's all the time, so. <laughs> Today, in honor of our movie Groundhog Day, we made Flapjacks. Because it's never too early for flapjacks and sweet vermouth on the rocks with the twist. The pancakes, Chad. Scotty I've, made them. I've never been good at making pancakes. You've only made them oh. like one other time. I mean, like in my life. I mean, like, you know, I had a life before you. <laughs> um, <laughs> they look so easy to do. Did you know? Did we, you? We, <laughs> That's my I, I don't. I don't think it's, I don't think it's probably like less than 10 times. <laughs> okay. Um, we go to a pancake festival in town and they're like doing them like every fifth, they got, they're just churning out pancakes. It's like assembly line of pancakes. How hard can this be? Um, but those pancakes are usually not that great. No. Well, might- they're, they're better than the ones I made. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of that was timing, Scotty. Maybe there was too much bacon <clears throat> grease in the pan. Here's the mix. Buttermilk, one egg, two teaspoons of butter, white sugar, flour, baking powder, baking soda, salt. I never get the salt like that's in the cabinet. Um, I'm just trying to churn it out into the half teaspoon thing, and then I'm like, I can't do this, and I just like eyeball it into like the, the bowl. Grinder? Yes. Um, Did the pancakes end up tasting like salty treats? No, they just no. ended up tasting Mixed. like charred little, charred oh. little bits. <laughs> That sounds like a timing issue. I mixed these up in a KitchenAid mixer. The KitchenAid mixer was the one thing that didn't fail. So shout out to KitchenAid. Um, I cooked some bacon because I wanted the bacon grease for the pancakes. And I didn't drain the grease. Shannon said this was the first mistake. I didn't say this is your first mistake. I just said I normally drain the grease and then add it in as needed. I'm not a terrible person. What did you say about everything I tried on yesterday? From the closet. Um, what do you think? No, you said... <laughs> no, you said, that's that unflattering. So no, I said, do you think it's flattering? <laughs> I tried to make everything a question. Let him out. Oh, I love that. Do you think it's flattering? <laughs> I don't... I think, I, think, I think that is the nicest... That's the spin that's going to be on this. It was like, it's not flattering. And you know what she's doing? I was like, I don't know about this cashmere sweater. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. And like, she's like, I'll wear it. And I'll wear it around the house. She's wearing yeah, it right he, now. He said, he said, he was like, he was going for the Goodwill pile. And I was like, let me try that on. And I put it on. And I was like, I think this is my new around the house sweater. I mean, it's cashmere. It's very cashmere. warm. Because he was like, he didn't want to. He was like, I don't wear it very much. Because, you know, you have to do all this stuff to take care of it. And I was like, I take care of my stuff. I can wear it. And uh, and it's amazing. the photo of 
Philip Seymour Hoffman from <laughs> Scotty from Boogie Nights. Yes. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. I, I mean, that. do you think it's flattering? Did you <laughs> see those piles of clothes? Like, that was all just shirts. That's it. <laughs> that was nothing else in his closet. I was like, whew, it took a few hours, but Scotty we, powered through. We watched The Fugitive. It's proud of him. And they date back to when? Like 1995? 2000. That's when there's some stuff from 2000 in there. Um, the 1995 stuff is still in his parents' like house in the closet. His dad wears it sometimes. <laughs> it's still being put to good use. That's so, good. Yeah. You know what? I, I will pay you money if at some point in a conversation with Walter and Mary Helen, one or both of you asks, do you think it's flattering? <laughs> Okay. Okay. We're we're gonna have to like get our recorder get on, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Get, at least get Walter's reaction on video. Yes. Back to the pancakes. <laughs> the, What's really the, important here? The pancakes. I don't really know when to flip them. I guess when they start bubbling, I flip them. The batter gets strewn about. I never have made pancakes that are like internet worthy or magazine worthy. These were just black as night, and I'm hoping it's just the skillet. When we put it down, we put some of them down for the dogs, like to clean up. They they were... didn't of they didn't even want the pancakes. They like licked up the KitchenAid batter, and then eventually like ate the black pancakes. They were like, I guess if we have no other <laughs> options. <laughs> Rizzo looks at you and says, "Do you think they're edible?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I was Phil, I would have had some time to perfect my pancake game. Um, Chad, Shannon, do you have any pancake secrets for us today? Um, so on, if you're using that iron skillet, cast iron skillet, once that's warm, it like holds that heat real. So giving it some time to warm up, obviously draining off the bacon grease, um, and just adding it as needed. And then to make sure it's hot enough, if you get a little water on your fingers and you just kind of flick it in there and you hear it sizzle, it's ready. (laughs) If you don't, then it's not ready. But not too hot. Yeah. Because too hot will, it'll blacken it. And then on the surface, you'll think it's time to flip, and then they'll be all runny and go all over the place. Yeah. Sour cream in the recipe also makes them fluffier. Oh, heck yeah. Um, we always do them on a griddle, not in an iron skillet. And Lacey does these pancakes where she soaks oats, oats or oatmeal in buttermilk overnight, <clears throat> and they are amazing. Ooh. Just melt, melt in your mouth. Terrific. That sounds amazing. What kind of, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to reach out to Lacey and figure out like we'll all the particular recipe. Yes. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Growing up, did you ever, did you guys call them flapjacks? They're pancakes, yeah. right? They're pancakes. Fla- I, I looked this up. They're cakes you make in a pan. Flapjacks <laughs> in America are pancakes, but in England, there's some, there's some granola bar looking thing. Like, is flapjacks a northern term for pancakes? I, think I don't so. know the answer to that. I think so. No idea. I don't know everything about Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. Or pancakes. Or <laughs> or even pancakes. Let's just... <laughs> <clears throat> All right. I also, I also did the sweet vermouth on the rocks with the twist. You never gave me any. What happened? I gave you an offer on it and you didn't when? want it. When was this? <laughs> this was Saturday. You were busy talking to Ben and Sarah. So is it your favorite drink? No. <laughs> I you all you do is like you pour it in with some ice and then put like a twist of lemon in there. We didn't have any lemon, so I used some lemon juice 
I think I put too much lemon juice in there because all I could taste was like the lemon juice. <laughs> so so this, I just, was, this was two for two. I just bombed everything on this show. Um, I, I read that vermouth used to be more popular in America, but after World War II, men didn't want like a flavorful drink of spirits because they were intimidated by women being in the workplace, so they wanted a stronger drink. This is an era where they, like men wanted manly, strong drinks. And then, like, as a result, vermouth has kind of dropped off as a result. And there's different... What is vermouth? What? I don't, even, I don't even know what vermouth is. It's like a gin. Oh. But fruity? If this is not fruity. Not. I think... I think, I think I think it's like it's commonly used in like <clears throat> martinis. You can get a, a for like a yeah vermouth. For no, vermouth. no taste, just lemon. That's all I. So is, is it weird that this is Rita's favorite drink? Um, uh, I think I think like what what I, I read was that it it's more about Phil being kind of like a man who had grown up in the fifties and kind of like his machismo about this drink. That the drink itself is not that bad if you. In America, like, if you get vermouth, it's kind of okay. But, like, if you go to other parts of the country where they do, like, different things with it, it's really incredible. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have to try it without the lemon juice next time. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back on that one, Chad. <laughs> I, was, I was very happy they had, like, a little, a little bottle of this because usually, like, when I make drinks for the podcast, I don't need a big bottle. I just need, like, but something. we get it. <laughs> So, <laughs> and then it's in the cabinet. No, it's not because we have we have people like Ben that come in and drink it. Um, That's true. They're poker it's nights. Like, they're There's like shots, and it's like, do you want some vermouth shots? <laughs> oh <clears throat> lord! So next time we'll try it with actual lemon and uh, try to stay light on that. We'll we'll update you on our progress. Good. <laughs> so let's move on to our honorary film, Groundhog Day. Let's do first time you saw it, your relationship to it, and why it's a mac and cheese movie. First taste. Well, um, as per usual, I don't remember exactly the first time I saw it. However, this was more of a, like, almost a sick day movie. Kind of up there with, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know? Just like, you're like, I'm sick. That means, you know, I have grilled cheese and tomato soup and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Groundhog Day. Um, So it's always kind of been a comfort movie for me, for sure. But... I watching it for the podcast, I realized it'd been a long time since I'd gone all the way through to the end. You know, like you start off at the very beginning, maybe you catch it kind of towards the end, but somewhere in the middle, like I did not remember. And maybe I blocked him out, like how many times he tried to kill himself. You know, that doesn't sound super comforting. You're not like, oh, this is the best time of his life. You're like, mm mm. So it, it was it's a it was always a sick day movie for me. Kind of an at home, staying in my PJs kind of deal. What do you got, Chad? Um, I think I saw this at the Dollar Theater in Wichita Falls. And uh, <clears throat> my stepdad at the time, I think saw it with us, and he was every morning he was like doing his weird impression of the radio announcers with rise and shine campers, that kind of thing. And so for a while, I really didn't want to watch this movie (laughs) or, or revisit it. Some, at some point though, I probably when it was on, uh, when it became available for rent, it just became one of those perennial rentals that we watched a lot. 
You should think about buying it. That's a that's a better use of He's, funds there. He sent me my DVD <laughs> copy. He gave it to me a few years ago. I think ultimately we did. I've probably purchased it half a dozen times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought it the other day on, on Amazon. <clears throat> I was like, okay, let's let's just have this in the repertoire. I yeah, we've got it, but you know what? It's it's one thing when you're too lazy to get up and go like flip through the DVDs you have. You're like, I'll just watch it. Jackson asked me, he says, Jackson's memory is that we've watched it at least once a year for as long as he can remember. So he's 15. So certainly in February, we watch it kind of in a commemoration. That's our, that's our Groundhog Day celebration. We watch Groundhog Day. And I guess we've done it for probably 15 or so years. I can mail you the vermouth. You can have it with the family. <laughs> Carolina, we were looking into it. Yeah. I'll be the one saying a prayer for world peace along with it. <laughs> I saw this in the theater with my, one of my best friends, Robert. We saw a ton of movies over a seven-year period growing up. Love you, Robert. Um, it was okay. The movie was okay. And that's on HBO a lot, but you're kind of like still not into it. It's like, it's so cold and dreary in this film. You're just kind of like, I'm not super into this. It wasn't until <clears throat> I was 30 and I was like, I can use Groundhog Day for something for class and talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I ended up showing that movie like every class period for about a seven or eight year period. So if that's like I switch classes it's semester, so that's like 14 classes a year, 14 times a year I'm seeing it. Times seven. I mean, I've seen this movie maybe more than I've seen anything else ever, really, inadvertently. Wow. And it's it's not a movie for children. I mean, you know, so I'm thinking, like, us seeing this in the movie theater, this movie wasn't made for us as thir- 12 and 13 years old. Nah. I was just because it's got Bill Murray in it. Right. Yeah. Because John Winger or Peter Venkman might make an appearance in this movie. <laughs> I think I think the thing that makes an impression is you're like, oh my gosh, I could learn how to play the piano like that. Oh, I could carve this ice sculpture. Like those are the things. I wasn't like, thinking about that at twelve or thirteen at all. At the time, I wasn't either. No, I was thinking of honestly, <coughs> my stepdad every day quoting "I got you, babe" that stuff, and it annoyed me to no end. <laughs> Let's talk about the ingredients. The <clears throat> The Bill Murray Harold Ramis relationship, you know, I read that it was really strained on this movie, and then I've also read that Bill Murray like really was trying to like branch out outside of Harold Ramis and didn't want it to be like only his best movies were like Harold Ramis connected. Um, right. So like, you, I think you know a little bit more about that. Like, do you want to talk about that a little bit, Chad? Well, so uh, I've read. In fact, I read uh, after Harold Ramis died. I think his daughter gave an interview, and she kind of described that Bill Murray and Harold Ramis didn't even first, by the time the shoot was over, they were not speaking anymore and did not speak until her dad was dying. I think Bill Murray came to see him in the days leading up to his death. So whatever happened apparently was it ran deep because they didn't, that was the end of it for them for a long, long time. Um, I think I read that they kind of got in each other's faces to maybe almost came to, to blows on the set that uh, Bill Murray was really leaning into the jerk aspect of Phil Connors 
in the first half. Um, <clears throat> now that being said, you know, we texted back and forth, I don't know, a number of years ago, I think it was in 2009 or so. Um, Stephen Toblowski had an email address that people could email him and ask him questions. And so I had emailed him and asked him just for an anecdote of <laughs> shooting with Bill Murray on Groundhog Day. And his, he responded and his response was that on the first day of shooting, so early on, uh, is when they shot all of his stuff with uh, in the town as Ned Ryerson coming and running to him. And he said, Bill Murray, uh, there's like 500 extras gathered around from the town. Bill Murray decides everybody needs a pastry. So he grabs Stephen Toblowski and says, let's go. And they run to some bakery. Stephen Toblowski's words, I reread the email before this today, he said, Bill Murray threw a wad of cash at them and said, give me everything you've got. And then like uh, as if he were throwing peanuts at a baseball game, he went to the crowd and was throwing pastries, Danish uh, to everybody there. And everybody cheered and then they started shooting. So it sounds like it wasn't total jerk Bill Murray on the shoot. Sounds like he won the town over. Yeah, I think there's – a lot of kind of conflicting reports about him being difficult on shoots. And that's really for like the last 40 years. And it just kind of depends like who you're getting and kind of like what's going on with it. They didn't know, so Harold Ramis didn't know if Bill Murray was actually going to show up for the movie. They had, they had an agreement, but until the day one, they were still kind of like, well, we hope Bill shows up. He hasn't confirmed that he will. And I've I've heard that he can be that way. That if he if he shows up, super. If not, don't be shocked. Wow, that's that's pretty rough when you've got all that money and you know everybody waiting around. You've got all that, that prep and all that other stuff. That's going to be super. Now, super I hope, stressful. That being said, I don't know of any times when he hasn't showed up. I mean, he showed up for the Garfield things, so <laughs> it sounds like he'll show up for what he Whatever. says. Whatever. <laughs> Do you think this is Bill Murray's best movie or what do you think this is for him and Harold Ramis? It's probably definitely a Harold Ramis' best movie. I think so. I think it's Harold Ramis' best movie. Um, It's probably one of Bill Murray's top three. It's, it's probably the most, it's the only movie he's done. That's like this. Um, Scrooged. I think he's way pricklier. Than he is as Phil Connors. Um, Ghostbusters, there isn't any kind of real character arc for him like this. Um, <clears throat> Lost in Translation is very different. Uh, I think that we don't get latter day Bill Murray without this movie. I don't think we get Lost in Translation or even Steve Zissou, Rushmore. I don't think we get any of that without this movie. So I think it was kind of a transition for him. Um, it may be the most rewatchable. It's, you know, it's kind of those ones, uh, Shannon, when you were saying a sick day movie, it, it's kind of like a TBS movie. It's, it seems like it's always on. I mean, if we pulled up TBS now, there's a decent chance it's going to be on any day. And so that lends itself. I mean, it's, it's kind of that kind of a movie. It's, you can watch part of it all the time. Agreed. And I don't know. That's not necessarily true for many of his other movies. Ghostbusters, you can probably watch part of it anytime. Anything else like that of his <clears throat> resume? It's not larger than life. 
No, that's kind of the nadir of his career, I think. Which strangely is shortly after this movie. Now, he do really we did some like terrible <clears throat> stuff? Do we think that um, its ability to your ability to just slide in at any time? Because I I think you could probably say that for anyone, even if they haven't watched it. Uh, I mean. It's he's living the same day over again. So I mean, while you may have missed like one day, like we're gonna redo it. We have the temp- we have the template. We have the template. It's like oh, yeah. it's that movie where he lives the same day over again. I I missed the first like hundred <laughs> days, but I, I think I'll come in for the last or whatever. Yeah. it's not so important. You know what happens. There's not. It's more about his his like personal arc as opposed to like anybody else. Everybody else kind of stays right. the same. They're um, all distant secondary characters. Right. Yeah. He's pretty prolific in this point in the '90s because he's got Quick Change, which is I like. Which I, I like. Yeah, that. I like Change. What about Bob? Mad Dog also, and Glory. I like that too. Ed Wood. Kingpin. He's got that all in like a five-year span. No wonder they were worried if he'd show up. <laughs> He's too overcommitted. He's probably got like all these other movies to go to. But then what did he do? When did he start doing like the like larger than life and uh, I think that's like Man Too Little or something? It was before, it was like 96 is larger than life and I think Man Too Little is like 97, 98. So late, so really until Wes Anderson came Maybe nobody knew what to do with Bill Murray. Maybe he didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Was he going to be like? Because he okay, so doing Kingpin, Big Earn is hilarious in that movie. Uh, Scott, I think we watched that for the first time together, and we I made you rewind the scene at the end when he wins the bowling tournament and he high fives Woody Harrelson, and Woody Harrelson's hand comes off and he screams and throws <laughs> like, it into the crowd. <laughs> I think we watched that a few times. Um, but so even then, it was kind of like, okay, is Bill Murray going to be like a raunchy comedy star? I mean, is that what we're doing with him? Like uh, the Farrelly Farrelly Brothers movies then? Um, but then he even took that hard turn towards those family movies that just weren't good. Um, if someone said this was Bill Murray's best movie, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Sure. I think I think what's what's impressive with this movie and like you know Harold Ramis and Bill Murray is that this template has started showing up in other movies in the last ten years. Like we got Palm Springs this year. We got like a lot of them like take that and do something else with it. Which I think I can't think of a lot of movies that do that that aren't like sci-fi or, or action or something. So they just so you know Palm Springs was almost marketed as well. It's Groundhog Day with. A twist, and so yeah, there's stuff. It's iconic in that now it's it's kind of a, a code for this type of movie where someone relives the same day over until changes occur. It's a good elevator pitch. You yeah, can, you can use that for like stuff you're not even doing. Um, that's films. Like, hey, what do you like as an employee? It's like Groundhog Day with a little bit of melancholy. <laughs> I, I was going to say for for being a school teacher, it's like what's it like being a school teacher? It's Groundhog Day with children <laughs> and and melancholy, <laughs> melancholy. <laughs> I uh, more, not as much of vermouth, other no, things. Not as much vermouth. <laughs> Definitely no pancakes. <laughs> uh, I was kind of thinking about so the movie about time, where like the men in the family can like go back and back and forth through time, like at will. Um, and how, like, 
the main character can go through time, relive the same day. But the main difference is whether we perceive this as the most amazing thing ever uh, or versus a nightmare, you know? Um, so, I mean, you kind of get that a teeny tiny bit in About Time, but it's mostly just a feel-good movie. But then both characters, they both like end up progressing to the end where the, they only want to live each day once, you know, and try to make it count, like live it, live it well. And, and I, I think, think that's where that's... Bill Murray got to at the end of the movie. Right, right. And that, that take of two characters progressing is really the more contemporary take on this. So th- that's kind of the, the whole difference with Palm Springs is that it's Groundhog Day but with another person experiencing the same thing. Uh, Because as you pointed out, everybody else in Groundhog Day is really, uh, even, I mean, Rita probably is the more, most substantial, but she's really not that substantial. She's still just uh, a secondary character that serves as motivation for him. Uh, And it's, it's like, so at the beginning, I mean, he's a (laughs) self-centered egocentric jerk. You know, I think at one point Rita says something like, that's your most defining trait. Are you egocentric? That's your most defining trait. Um, So like the world revolves around him and then he finds himself in a situation where the entire world does kind of, I mean, it's all happening around him and he's the main, the main part of it. You know, he can make it anything he wants. I mean, you could say that for real life, but as far as this movie is concerned, he is absolutely the focus um, on each and everything and decides he doesn't like it. I thought that kind of where he's trying to be that person where it's just like, no, everything's about me. I'm the talent. Did he just call himself the talent? Um to where he actually is the actual center of things. He can make anything happen. He has all the power and decides he doesn't like it after, you know, who knows how long that, that first bit was when he was having fun with things. <laughs> right. So Harold Ramis said that he figures mm-hmm. Phil relived Groundhog Day for 10 years. And um, I think one of the magical things, maybe one of the lasting elements of the movie is that fact that yeah real life can be like this they just take it to its they just exaggerate it and magnify it amplify it so that phil realizes a life where i'm the center of it where my my desires and my wants is the at or at the center really is an unfulfilling life there's really no point to that life and uh we, I think Scotty and I have discussed this in the past. This is probably getting into that semester-long thing that we're going to avoid <laughs> for today. But he he learns and he recognizes that life has value. And not just life, and this is the irony of it, not just life generally, but his life. His life becomes better, becomes valuable, becomes meaningful when he loses himself when he when he removes himself as the center of all of his attention, uh, the New Testament says, "He who loses his life shall find it." And I think that's a universal truth that this movie, at the core of the plot of the movie, even though this isn't a Judeo-Christian movie, this I think that truism is there. 
Creed. No, actually, uh, so the guys that he almost kills on the railroad tracks or whatever, at one point, he they're all drunk and everything, and he goes, you know, I'm just living the same day over and over. And one of the other guys goes, like, me too, or has that kind of sentiment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. not he's not in Groundhog Day, yeah. but he is living but, the same day. But we all are. We all, all are stepping in that puddle every day. We're all, like, kind of in that same motion, and we have to do things to kind of try to change. But yeah, we've it's, all got choice. Yeah. For sure. So there's, there's, um, I think we expect, we generally, not necessarily the three of us all the time, but mm-hmm. generally people expect I should be able to do the same stuff every day. I should be able to think the same way, eat the same way, conduct myself in the same way. And everybody else should change. Uh, if something happens that I don't like, or that it doesn't, end up in the result that I'm hoping for, it's because of other people, not because of me. And that's not true. And I think we see that in this movie that most poignantly and watching it this time, uh, two, two huge scenes really stuck out to me. One is the whole episode with the old homeless man in, I think that's really maybe the emotional crux of the movie is he realizes that no matter what power no matter how much knowledge and foreknowledge he has, some things he cannot control. He cannot control whether this man lives or dies. And then ultimately it sets it up. He can't control whether Rita loves him or not. And the second scene that really stood out was when Rita wins him at the auction and she's fallen asleep and he's whispering to her in the bed about how much he cares for her and how – even even if this was just a fleeting moment, he would do everything that he could to 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 care for her and to love her. Truly, this it's like most selfless that he's ever that he's that he is in the entire movie, and uh, those really stuck out to me. Those are the emotional pinnacles, I think, of the movie. That old man's rough. That, that old man stuff is rough. He's giving him mouth to mouth in the back alley. Um, right. And, right. And honestly, that, I think I think how that really pulls at you is just that old man and his feelings and his like what you see from him because he's just like he's giving him all this food. He's just like thank you, thank you. You know, I mean, he that <clears throat> gratitude and just like not expecting any help whatsoever because I mean, as Bill Murray has done the entire rest of the movie, he's just walked by and just been like, oh, don't got anything, you know. He's used right. to that. He's used to not being seen. And I think more than anything, him being seen is the most moving part of it and his reaction to that. Yeah, yeah. And it sets up, you know, it, it makes, just as you were saying that, Shannon, it makes me think when he's jacking the old lady's car up, I wonder how many times he saw them go by with a flat before he said, you know what, I, I can help. Uh, we see it with the old man. We see that first moment of recognition where he's like, you know what, maybe I can do something here. Um, the, the boy who falls out of the tree. I wonder how many times he saw the boy fall and get hurt before he decided to finally help. So it's, you're right. It's very, it's very moving when that they show him noticing the old man and, and that recognition of maybe I can help. It's interesting as a film choice, they didn't show any of that stuff from that day, really, in the template of everything. 
Everything right. else, like we know what the template is with Ned Ryerson. We know what, what stuff is like in the daytime and night. But this is all stuff that like we didn't know about Buster choking or the kid falling out of the tree or all, all this stuff was brand new. So it almost like shows the new leaf, but it does that cinematically. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good. And um and plus it helps probably just from a filmmaking standpoint show the passage of time that he's had time to explore all of these other avenues uh to see where people in need were throughout this town and he's become familiar with all of it. I love the piano teacher who's like so proud of him at the end. She's like, that's my student. That's my student. And I'm like, but he has come to her that very morning and he knew, really knew how to play. She doesn't remember any of his progress, you know, but she's got all this pride. No, but my father was a piano mover. <laughs> oh, classic, classic line. That gets requoted a lot <laughs> at our house. Uh, but you're right. So, you know, in that, I always wondered. When he, so every day it's the first piano lesson as far as she's concerned. Does he come in and at least at the very beginning play badly and then she gives him some tip and then he is a virtuoso? Like, oh, I can do it. <laughs> thank you. you know, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Does he set her up to feel like she's responsible for this great? I think so. Up? Yeah. I think yeah. her reaction probably says that. Yeah. Yeah. She shoves that little girl out. That, that's the best part. That's the best part. I mean, does he continue doing that at the end? He's like a thousand bucks, and it's like, or does right. he come up with some, you know, slightly, slightly better way? <laughs> a thousand bucks would put so much on our mortgage and then on principal. And that's that's like how many years later is this? They think this is like 90, 92, 93? Yeah. Like, what right. are a thousand? Ex- what would you do with a thousand dollars in Punxsutawney in that in that time? That's yeah. probably more than she makes in a few months teaching piano lessons, right? Yeah. The year. I mean, how much are you really making doing piano lessons? Especially in 1992. I, yes. I, I took, did you take you took piano lessons? I took piano lessons. I think it was $40 a month. I, I was going to say, I think that's how much my mother paid for my brothers and I to have piano lessons. I have no idea. So if, 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 you've got, if you've got 10 kids, that's only 400 a month. So 1000 bucks. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> She would she would shove the little girl yeah. out. Come back later. She'd be like, you know what? You are ten kids now. And I wonder if his lesson is like an hour, or if he was doing like the whole afternoon with her. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, she's like, you got the whole day. <laughs> um, I was thinking during this viewing, I was thinking more like the future <clears throat> after. So he wakes up. Um, he's not in Groundhog Day anymore. Uh, you know, all of that joy and happiness. I mean, what is the, what is the thing where we all kind of return to a baseline of happiness? You know, we've all got like that natural baseline. So he returns to that. At some point, he's going to want to talk about this to someone, you know? I mean, Rita seems like a pretty, pretty cool person. Um, Maybe she's going to be great about it. But how likely is it that everybody just thinks he's crazy? You know, and he has no one to talk to about that and how lonely that would be and how actual crazy making that would be, you know, which is probably why we never get a sequel. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. I want to end it where we end it. It's true. Agreed. Like like a Frank Capra movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's a wonderful life. They go off into the sunset and everything's great. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, he confided in Rita earlier in the movie. Listen, this is what's going on with me and I'll. You can we'll prove it be to part you. Of, and, she, uh, um, and she comes along for that journey, who knows how many times. 
but you're right. I mean, either either Phil has to be so grateful that life is now different that he compartmentalizes and never brings it up, or they have such a great understanding relationship that he can bring it up with her and she's accepts it. It's not some delusion, but something real and they move forward. You know, they talked about living in the mountains. Is that the future for them? They move to the mountains. And live he also high said, altitudes. I want to move here. Let's live here. <laughs> well, then he, you're right. Then he says yeah. that maybe they do live there. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Shannon and I have the kind of relationship where I can tell her that. Um, I think I'd be like, yeah, let's go live in the mountains. No, and ta- you'd be like, no, I'm ta- uh. no, I'm ta- no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about oh, the, the fact that, that, I've been, that I've been in the same day for 10 years or whatever. Oh yeah. No. And confide you knew in that. Yeah. So something know. that, you know, that, know. Would, that would be an interesting take mm-hmm. on it's Groundhog Day with a married couple where one of them and they're not in it together at the mm-hmm. same time. So one of them maybe one of them experiences this for 10 years and then the, and then his stops there's day two, but then the wife, for example, she starts going through it because you can see where that would raise a lot of problems. Like, wait a minute, you know, not to do this, but you do it. Or, you know, that this, you, the temptation to feel like maybe you've been manipulating me this whole time or, or, you know, been selfish this whole time, uh, Rita, one thing Rita doesn't know about is him dressing up as like a Clint Eastwood character and taking out some... We don't even know who that girl is, yeah. Well, there are multiple ladies in this this movie. Exactly. And so, you know, what would she think if she found out that he slept with the entire town? Would that... Is that a deal breaker? Would she... Or would she be able to forgive him that since he's in this 10-year rut, so to say? I don't know. It's... That'd be an interesting thing about a married couple or a committed couple, how they would deal with it. Well, if you were already married, you would go back and you would figure out like, how do they really feel about this? You know? So if, if it's just a regular conversation, you're like, do I really want to deal with the fallout on that? Or, you know, like, is it really that important when there's no repercussions, when everything's going to start from scratch tomorrow, you know, and no one will remember. It's like, well, why not? Let's ask it. You know? Right. Um, so it, it seems like it might be a really dark movie <laughs> to, to explore that premise. It'd be like, why was that Scarlett Johansson and um, Adam Driver? Adam Driver, yeah, where, where you're just like, oh no, this is horrible. We should not watch this. We shouldn't have watched this together. This was horrible. Yeah. I like that this movie, do you know about like that Danny Rubin script was like some ex girlfriend put a hex on Phil? And and they kind of they stripped that Harold Ramis like stripped all that and kind of made it kind of like it just happens. So there is so there isn't this kind of like fantastical element about it. I think that yeah. like makes the movie work better, and it's like it's more of a classic as a result. It's more like everything. That's like the best decision they could have made. It's a, it gives us a lot more to talk about. <laughs> to not know the cause, like why did this happen? Well, because he was a jerk. Okay. That's, that's as good as an answer as we're going to get. Yeah. There's, this movie, there's this movie that Harold Ramis directed with Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, I, is that the one with I, the devil? I think it's called Bedazzled. Yeah. And it's like Deal with the Devil. That, the devil. That movie feels kind of like what this movie could have been like if they had kept the Danny Rubin stuff. Oh. I think that movie came out, was it 99 to 2001? Like 98, 99, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I... 
I was unavailable to see that movie. <clears throat> Never did. But you didn't put that on the list of movies I needed to see when I came back. <laughs> I say that. It sounds like I was in jail. I wasn't in jail. When I was serving the mission, you didn't say, hey, you need to watch Bedazzled when I came back. So I never did. <laughs> Scotty would have told you had you needed to watch that movie. That would have been a letter. Hey, Chad, when you get back, Bedazzled. bedazzled. It would have been, very, it would have been a postcard. You're now saying, oh, Bedazzled. <laughs> 20 years later you bring up Bedazzled so if it comes on like the $4 bin on iTunes I'll check it out or on TBS or for, or for free for free watch it for free yeah. there we go it's on like Tubi <laughs> or Crackle what, what do we think about Andy McDowell in this movie so um, it's a flat character right I mean there's really not much depth to it um one thing that bothers me is her slapping Phil. Now, there's some. I think there's some elements of this that probably haven't aged real well. <clears throat> I think her. This is for making you care about making me care about you. Slap. Um, is that is that kind of like a throwback to older movies when women slapped men for saying rude things? I think so. And th- I think I also read that Annie McDowell that Bill Murray wanted her to slap him like for real. Uh-huh. Not like stage slap, but like do it for real. So every one of those is like real. Mm-hmm. I, I did that once in a stage play, and I got like best actress that night. I'm just going to say. I don't know if it was because of the slap, but I didn't get best actress when I didn't do the slap. So She does that to me, and I don't even get awards. I know. That's why I'm there to play. <laughs> Scotty, if, if you and I need to talk after this, <laughs> there's an 800 number. Do you feel safe? <laughs> Um, no, so so Andy McDowell, I think given what's probably on how the character was written, I think she does a good job. Yeah. I think it, it, it is what it was meant to be, probably. And this is the prime of Andy McDowell. This is like Green Card, which is maybe her best movie. I haven't seen it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> maybe her best movie. I haven't seen it. I remember Those... Green Card was a big hit and, uh, and Sex and Lies in the Videotape. Movie. So that needs to go on your list. You need to send him a letter, Chad. <laughs> yeah, we have a history of letter sending. Um, four weddings and a funeral. I think. Is oh that, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Of course, or is that more peak Hugh Grant? I, I don't thought know. that was a Hugh Grant. The Hugh Grant. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, um, this was definitely during when she was um, getting a lot of good work. Did Harold Ramis do Multiplicity? Yeah, and she's in that. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Um, is is kind of similar to Groundhog Day a little bit too? Isn't yeah, it? it is. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess here, uh, you're right. I mean, she didn't have a really long run of movies. She was in. Lacey watched this sh- series with her on Netflix. Made, I think it's called. Oh. It, they just came out last year. Her daughter is the lead. Yeah, Margaret Qualley. Uh, and it's about a woman stuck in an abusive relationship, I think, and how she finally breaks out and her mother played by Andy McDowell is I think part of the abuse and the cyclical nature of abuse and things. Uh, but up until last year, I don't know that Andy McDowell's really done anything that, that we're aware of. She was in some like Maybelline commercials. She was making some Maybelline money. Yeah. I remember those. I don't, I don't know what that was like in the last five years. What I think of with Andy McDowell in this movie 
Um, yeah, she is an excellent person. I'm like, oh, that's something to shoot for, you know? <laughs> like, But I, I'm not even looking at her character or anything. I'm just thinking she's the main romantic lead, and she's wearing, like, this whatever sweater and, like, jeans and, like, you know, I'm sure it took them, like, an hour to make her up, but she does not look like any female lead character you would see now in any sort of, like, any sort of movie, really. Um, right. And that's what I think about, and it makes me mis- nostalgic for that time and just thinking about, like, I was growing up seeing that on TV where it's like, yeah, you know, you can just, whatever. They're going to, it's like beauty, but you know what? You don't have to like do all the things. And yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. That's what I think when I see a lot of these movies and I'm just like, they look like a real person. They look like they eat food, you know, (laughs) like their arms aren't like, well, it's a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing, but you know, it's just like, you, you can't put your thumb and your pointer finger like together and that's as big as their arm you know right. like yeah she's she's very pretty but she's everyday pretty she looks um, like a person you might see on the street if you know like but, you would be like oh that is a beautiful woman but it's a woman that you might actually see in your life there's like a there's this movie called chain reaction with tiana reeves Ooh, with, I love rachel, that movie. with rachel weiss and it's like 1995 and like She's Rachel Weiss is wearing just like this old gray sweater sweatshirt and jeans as they're running off. Where now they're like in heels and all sexed up and kind of everything else. It's like it's like all the all the memes with you know the apocalypse. How I thought I would dress in the apocalypse, and you're wearing like leather pants <laughs> and everything. It's how I really dress in the apocalypse, and you're wearing like your pajamas. It's like that, but switched. You know? Yeah. That's a good point. You see a little bit more of real life reflected, maybe, in this movie. And, like, that's something, you know, you might wear in in that time, you know? Whereas now it's, like, there's a huge gulf between just, you know, Instagram, uh, you know, what are they? Mm, uh, Influencers and yeah, movie yeah. stars, TV stars, and then just like everybody else. <laughs> you you saying that, uh, Shannon, the three, this team of three with Larry, Phil, and Rita, they do look like three people you could see at some cafe in a small town and, and wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah, they look like normal people. I like that. I miss that. I want more of that in my life. <laughs> That's a fair point. I think Chris Elliott is great in this movie. Is this maybe Pete Chris Elliott? Schitt's Creek is pretty great. Do you guys watch that? Have mm-hmm. you seen that? I've seen like you a have few it. episodes. Oh, Chris Elliott's yeah, Chris Elliott's top notch in that. Um, but this is for for that time period. This is definitely his <clears> best. <throat> he was work. doing a lot of work him. back then. I mean, he had a, he had a TV show. I watched that TV show because it was on like right after the Simpsons or whatever. Like, um, you didn't watch that movie that you thought was like amazing. Uh, but you watched that TV show. (laughs) Was it green? Green. It's a green card. Green card. (laughs) You know, you're like, I think green card was their best work. I mean, I didn't see it, but I did see this show. I didn't watch this. I didn't didn't watch get a life. (laughs) Two seasons of that. Get a life was the name of it. He did. He had cabin boy, but I think, I didn't see he that. Was the lead I, in anything. I think that like destroyed his career to a degree. I saw Kevin Bond. Uh, he was in. A, there's something about Mary. Woogie. Mm-hmm. Woogie. 
which is he was good as well. Yeah. But Larry's good. Larry's good. You know, again, he's a he's a background player, but we get to see we get to learn things about him. You know, uh, he goes from really despising Phil to that really touched me, man. You know, being really moved and inspired by Phil. Mm-hmm. So he's I mean, he's a doofus, but Chris Elliott did serviceable work. Yeah. I would hate this would be so embarrassing if I was um went up to like the bachelor auction and the drums were like bum bum Well and I mean he so we know that about him that he's that guy like that rushes onto the stage after obviously a very hard act to follow has just happened. It's like you should put some a rational practical person would put some uh let, some distance. Let Rick Duke him and go. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Let Rick Dukeman go. Hey, so this is Michael Shannon's first credited movie appearance. Yeah, and he, he's he's like no. WrestleMania. No way. <laughs> and then he kisses. I'm not really sure. Why does he kiss Rita? I think that's something that's like a custom that like a lot of people do. Yeah. Do you guys do that? I do, no. We're kiss not. other people. Yeah, that's well, that's gonna be but, something that we talk about later. <laughs> in the Groundhog Day version of your lives, this is there's gonna be five years spent to why did you kiss her? <laughs> why did you kiss her? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Michael Shannon never would have thought we'd be watching Michael Shannon movies mm-hmm. twenty years later. Yeah, Knives Out, you know, never would have thought we'd see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other, anybody else come from this movie? No, in fact, I was thinking about like. If we had a little bit more time, or maybe we'll do this on our second Groundhog Day podcast, maybe we make this a yearly thing. Um, maybe <laughs> like we're reliving the same podcast over and over again. I was like, let's 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 try to get Bill Murray. We'll do the eight hundred number. Maybe we don't get him. We probably don't get him. We probably can't get Chris Elliott. Rick Dukeman's dead. Rest in peace. Or Stephen Tobolowsky. I was thinking maybe we can get the boy who fell out of the tree. What's he wow. doing? Boy, wow! Out of the tree. Yeah, oh, little man. Crap. I'll see you again tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> Big dreams. <laughs> and hear me being totally unrealistic as you're naming off this list of people we're unlikely to get. I'm like, maybe we can get Michael Shannon. <laughs> Be amazing. Uh, maybe we'll just. Uh, what's the thing where you can pay somebody to say like a little something, <laughs> like a blurb, like you had for your birthday? Yeah, what is that? What is let's that let's see who's available. We'll just have them do the intro or the like last line, you know. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Let's let so and so close this episode out. Or, or like the waitress who's Mrs. like she was born in work. Oh yeah, yeah, right. we, could, we might be able to get her or Mrs. Lancaster. She's probably dead. <laughs> I was uh, that I was thinking that like uh, this is this movie is almost thirty years old. So if you were not young. Back then, it's going to be harder. So it's like prime time for the kid who fell out of the tree. <laughs> right. He He's needs like, to pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> so, for, you know, He's, he's so really bucks. looking to, you know, he's not move getting, out he's not getting parents. He's not getting paid on this podcast. <laughs> he needs to move out of his we'll, parents' we'll basement. We'll how he does pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, my pancakes are all black. That was the peak of my life, falling out of that tree. <laughs> Right. Remix the ingredients, Chad. Do you got anybody else for Phil Connors? So, um, 
two people who reportedly turned the movie down. Yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton. I think that, I think, yeah. And Harold Ramis would work with Michael Keaton on Multiplicity. Yeah. Um, so, um, maybe because he uh, regretted turning this movie down. I'm sure that has to be the case, right? Um, that has to be the case because Michael Keaton's career wasn't really doing much other than Batman. Yeah. And then, and then didn't really go anywhere for a while. Um, so I, I thought first of contemporaries, 1993, who could have done it? Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton seem like the most logical choices. In fact, watching it, I was trying to imagine Michael Keaton delivering some of these lines. And I think it works. Yeah. Uh, I think he could be volatile, maybe more volatile than Bill Murray was. Uh, I was thinking of like Batman. You want to get nuts? Yeah, yeah, Let's get just... nuts. So yeah. genuinely scaring the heavy set guy, you know, in the morning, you have to see the groundhog day, you know, attacking that guy, um, more contemporary. So I have these in three tiers. So I have back then and then modern day, Jason Sudeikis, who I know I recommend for a lot of movies, <laughs> John Hamm. I think John Hamm could do a, a remake of groundhog day, but my go-to, Perfect World, if we could do a remake, Coen Brothers do Groundhog Day with George Clooney as Phil Connors. Oh, yeah. That is really good. That is really good. I think we'd have more interesting characters in the town for them tend to interact with. And um, so one thing I was asking myself watching this time is Bill Murray, he has these aspirations of being like on a major network is he really handsome enough to be on a major network? In that time? In that time, was he? I don't know. Maybe. He's it's not He's not a very good-looking dude. But I not, actually no. think he has aged better. Like, yeah. I 100%. He's still not super attractive, but... But he's but he's the Bill Murray character now. I mean, he's, he's Bill Murray. Um, I think if they made the movie today... George Clooney, we could see like, yeah, in fact, it might even add more of a, a, a level of desperation to him because George Clooney's, I don't know, was he in his 50s probably? Yeah. If he hasn't become a major player, then he's not really going to. So it really adds to this kind of de- delusion. And the Coen brothers are so good at exploring that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I think of like um, Inside Lewin Davis, is that what it's called? Uh Anyway, those kind of movies that they do, I think Coen Brothers and George Clooney, for a ideal modern remake, they get my vote. Is Anton Chigurh going to be in the town? He's Ned. <laughs> He's selling insurance. <laughs> um, He's going to have more things to say in this version <clears throat> than just like, it's the best day of my life, I sold all the insurance. So, also... I don't really like the music in this movie, in Groundhog Day. I think it's really dated, and even at the time, it was kind of silly. Are you talking about the music that's like in the like at the party, or the so like the like the, the opening the, the, song. the opening song is bad. It's really and bad. it's on the DVD menu, like when you turn on the menu, and it's awful. It's like you're so, making me not want to watch this movie right now. It really does because I think I think even for '93, it was a bad song. Um, hearing the like the score cues, I think they were doing it with like synthesizers, not with like actual stringed instruments. And hearing that, it doesn't sound good. It sounds dated. 
if they had chosen a more timeless score, I think it would lend itself to the timelessness of the movie. <clears throat> I think so. Agreed. And because I was anticipating questions about like the craft of making this, I was really watching like camera angles. There's really not any fancy camera work in this movie at all. It's really just setting up two people talking, a couple of close-ups, and then back to the same people talking. I think if they did it today, they'd probably make it more interesting. More, more clever and, yeah. yeah. More visually appealing. Hey, I've yeah. got... So. You want to hear my name, who I've got from Phil Connors? I do. This, this, this is all, like, in the 92 era. Okay. Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin, Jack Nicholson. So I read that Steve Martin was one that was on Harold Ramis' short list, along with Chevy Chase. I think those become diff- very different movies with those guys. <laughs> Steve Martin, I like. Eddie Murphy, it becomes a different kind of movie, but it's still probably a good one. And Jack Nicholson? Yeah. I think I'd like yeah, Jack I Nicholson. I think Jack Nicholson would be great. Yeah. I think it's uh, the vibe of the movie maybe becomes kind of like as good as it gets a little bit. Or something's got to give. Yeah. That I think, era. I think it's – he can turn on the charm. He can be a total jerk. He can be very charming. Yeah, I think that works. Yeah. Yeah, good job. What about you, Shannon? Oh, I didn't come up with anything. <laughs> James McAvoy. James McAvoy. I'm just going to put him in everything. <laughs> I want to see more James McAvoy. Actually, what was it we were watching the other day? I was like, I'm pretty sure that's James McAvoy, and then it wasn't. Scott, I had Scotty believing it. He was like, you know what? I think you're right. You know, like, I think that's him. Like, can't wait to see the big reveal. No, he's in uh, The Kingsman. Yeah. Like, the villain in The Kingsman, you don't see his face. Until the very end. Until the very end. So it's like, who is that? Who is that? It's got to be, like, some famous actor. And she I was, was like, like, I, I think, think it's Jim <laughs> I just want him in everything. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do with my Groundhog Day. I'm going to go find James McAvoy. I'm just going to stalk him, try to strike up a relationship. Yep. That's going to be the things that we have to talk about. It'll be like, Shannon, so you and James McAvoy? What? It'll be like, what? it's on my list, you know? <laughs> I stalked him for five years. Yeah. What happened with you and Shannon, Scotty? We did a fucking podcast. <laughs> Is there anything – so how would Rita's character be different if they made the movie today? Uh, she would have more depth instead of just being like, oh, no, I support you. I'm real happy. I'm just go with the flow, you know. Um, she'd have a lot more depth. We'd actually learn a little bit more than like maybe she majored in poetry and she had some vague other aspirations with her life. You know, especially with her being such a large part of this movie, like it would be like instead of at figuring out random facts about her past, maybe I figure out about like her aspirations and like let's get a little bit more into that. And I don't know, but also, also the movie does, the movie does have to center around Phil Connors. Every scene is centered around him, and that's what it has to do to make it work. So it's not like we get like two extra scenes with Rita and her B and B. No, and we're not we're not getting that, but I'm just saying like maybe the things that he is asking and learning about her are a little less like uh, beige. I don't know. I mean, the, the French poetry is kind of cool. It's like, oh, that's that's interesting. What made you make that choice? You know, but 
everything else is just kind of like, yeah, it goes along with this kind of happy-go-lucky vibe that she presents <clears throat> to everyone, you know? I think that we would, we might, there's probably a, a good way to learn more about her through him. Mm-hmm. Through his, as his perception of her changes and things. There's probably a, a, a good way to do that. What about Nancy? Does, does the whole, anything with Nancy Taylor, does that change in a modern, in a modern remake? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <clears throat> you want to get into that a little I bit? Would, I would, that's how, uh, that, to, to get the name, he sits down, doesn't say anything about his name, and then he goes in the next day, and he's like, Nancy Taylor, I asked you to the prom! Like, um... I do, I actually, yeah, I do like that. Um... Because it was, it was, he wasn't trying to, at this point, he's realized there are no repercussions, you know? So he's like, it doesn't matter if she like, is just like, what a weirdo. Because tomorrow she won't remember any of this. It does take on a lot more rapey vibe. This entire, that entire montage is really rapey because it's not, it's not unfolding. He is taking advantage of them. It is not something that they would do with all of, with knowledge available to them. Yeah. So it seems like if in a in a modern remake, I think that that has to be addressed in some way. I mean, there's that one scene like by the fire where she's just like, I don't know, you know, and whatever, and he's like, I love you, and it's just like all of that did not. Uh, just watching that now, I'm just like, oh my god, you know. Well, I think that, that's also like real life. That's something dudes do. It definitely is, but that's also that's a manipulation. That's. All of that. But we see the growth of Phil, like, as a result of, like, all this. And so this is why I think maybe you have to be real careful in how you cast Phil because you have to go from a pretty despicable place to, within a short period of time, no, we're really rooting for this guy. And so you're right. Like, watching it, that's why I asked the question because I mm-hmm. thought, man, this is this is uh, problematic, to use the term of the day, some of this stuff is really problematic, the way he's manipulating women. But he learns that it doesn't work. Like with Rita, it doesn't work. He gets smacked. And how many times does she have to smack him? Who knows? Maybe years worth before it finally dawns on him, oh, I'm, this is wrong. This is the wrong way to do this. For this woman. It, I, do, do we really think that he like learned something there? See, I mean, learned not until the end. They, yeah, it's the end. It took, him, it took him. He was like kind of in this purgatory yeah. for a long time until he kind of like figured it out. Man, wouldn't yeah. that be cool if dudes that did like use these types of uh, of moves, if then they were just stuck in a purgatory until they learned better? Well, and so I mean, I think again, coming back to the maybe a more general premise of the movie, there's no way that we can enforce this upon anybody. But the reality is, a self-centered, egotistical life is a hollow and unfulfilling life. And at some point, we hope that everybody experiences February 3rd. The jerks who manipulate and and treat women poorly like this, we hope that at some point in their lives, it dawns on them, my life stinks, and it's because of me. I'm the reason that life sucks, not anybody else, and that they do set upon trying to change. Um, But... Because we can't force anything on anybody, we just we just hope that's true. Yeah, obviously not the people on this podcast because we are fantastic. Not us. Obviously not, not us. us. We're uh, we're already at the end of the movie, like you know. 
We have nothing so, to work on. I thought that um, we saw some of the stages of grief in the movie. Yeah. So we see him angry. They, I, you don't want a longer version of this movie. If they did it again, I think there would probably be it hit on those points maybe a little bit more. We'd probably see more of some angry phase where he's truly lashing out at. And you know, today it probably would manifest itself in some form of violence, some a shooting or something. Yeah, but every, it's hard to, everything is self harm <clears throat> except for the groundhog. Um, and, groundhog. And, and kind of the reckless driving. Yeah, I felt um, a lot worse for the groundhog than I did for the dude. But also, you don't car. you don't need this to be so dark because we right. have so far to get. Exactly. We uh, if he. If he goes and shoots up a, a grocery store, we don't redeem. He can't be redeemed from that. Certainly not in an hour and a half or two hour movie. So like when when he robs the truck, it's just kind of like he slips in and slips out. It isn't. He isn't holding anybody up. He isn't threatening anybody. It's like a victimless crime. Yeah. Except yeah. that they will That's... have a very bad rest of their day. That they will not That's... have to deal with the next day. And it really, you know, that's kind of like the whole, this half of the movie, he does whatever he wants. And really the only real repercussions are that these people will have really bad days for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And they won't remember it tomorrow. Right. So it's like, it's like a date rape drug, you know, Groundhog Day is like the date rape drug for everyone. Right. Right. Except for him. Except for him. so... You know, one thing that we don't we don't see, and again, I'm not saying that we should, but we don't see him living with guilt of man, I've <laughs> I've done some terrible things. I've been I've treated people terribly. Uh, and and again, it's I think it's meant to be kind of a Frank Capra type movie, so we're not going to see that. But but that element would be there, and in a modern telling, we'd probably see something like that, at least some throw to it. It's weird to say this movie is thirty years, almost thirty years old. Yeah, and it's but he does buy all the insurance at the end. It makes that guy's life like the best day because he's getting everything you could possibly get from an insurance agent, which never happens. So, and I do have to say this on that note: you need more insurance. Yes, I've started selling insurance. He's become this kind of ideal version of himself, but he is still himself. So he still has his sense of humor. When one of my favorite scenes is when Ned he, he sees Ned and he says, "I have missed you so much," and he hugs him. You know, I don't know where you're going, but can you call in sick? Like it's it's definitely on the road to him becoming something better, but it's still funny and it's still he's still messing with this guy and. So the idea of becoming better, we can still be us and be better. Uh, we don't have to become something that we're not. And and I like that that nod to that in the movie. Yeah. So Chad, what's the doggy bag? What are you taking home from Groundhog Day? So love Bill Murray. This is this is just <clears throat> this further cement in the Bill Murray is one of the greatest. And um, timeless movie. Love the theme and idea that uh, that we can get out of the ruts that we're in. 
we we can improve. Everyone can be better. It usually comes from caring more about others than we do about ourselves. Nice. Um, so the guy that puts out a vibe that he doesn't need anything ends up only needing to take himself out of it, take his self out of his daily life, focus more on other people. I feel like there's a lot of this. This is a lot like what you said, Chad. Um, and also being a better person doesn't mean that you have to be selfless. I mean, he's still getting all of that praise and attention and affection, you know, um, his life is measurably better and he's not just in the background. He's not a background person. Uh, he still stays true to himself. Like you say, as he's on his journey, uh, he's still, you still like see his humor. He hasn't turned into a completely different person, but he does start to put his needs and desires and wants puts them in the back seat more so in his life moving forward. And I like that. I think I, well, I know I could definitely do a much better job of that. It's what I'm taking home. Also less rapey, you know, like let's not have that in our lives. Like just cut that out. <laughs> My dog bag is great film. Great transformation of this character makes you want to be a better person and do better. And you got to do the best with what you are, where you are. You know what? You can't be like in the Bahamas with a little umbrella drink and that be your best day. It has to be like where you're at. That would have been a pretty good day. (laughs) (laughs) The umbrella drink? (laughs) He says like, we made love like sea otters. Why couldn't I relive that day every day? And Rick Dukeman and the Towns guys are like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> They've never had a day like that. Nope. Nope. Oh. Uh, well, thank you so much, Chad, for being on the show. It's always good to have you on. Uh, you're going to be on a lot more this year, so looking forward to that. I have to work off my debt. <laughs> my parole officer said I have to do community service he said this counts <laughs> well tell the boy who fell out of a tree that to you well you're certainly helping this community yeah, right? <laughs> yeah we'll find out from him what his terms of his parole are <laughs> maybe this dude's gonna like Skype us from prison we're going to have the same issues that we had here. We're like, hold on. I can't see you yet. You know what? Lawyers have a hard time talking to like their clients in prison. I don't think that we're going to be getting like a Skype call at whatever time we set. You know, don't think so. I love that we're, love that we're treating it as a foregone conclusion. <laughs> kid is in prison. Oh, no. I definitely like taking some random moment or place. And I'm like, how would this enter into my life? He flew too close to the sun being in that Bill Murray movie. Do you think he's he's still talking about that? Like, oh, Ralph, why do you always bring up the Bill Murray movie? Or maybe he never brings it up Either because nev- he wants yeah. his life to like invent more than this ground. And they'll be like, hey, yeah, so this is my friend. Um, yeah, he was in that Bill Murray movie. And he's like, God, could you just for once not introduce me like that? He tells everyone he was in Stripes. <laughs> He lies and says he was in green green card. Because <laughs> nobody's seen that one. Nobody's seen it. Though it's Andy McDowell's best work. Gerard Depardieu is my stage name. 
Scotty, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> do you want to do it right now or do you want to save it? Let's do it right now. Okay. Phil, this is the <clears throat> best day of my life. Mine too. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> We should figure out who's doing what. You're, I'm, I'm, I'm Ned. Who's Ned? You're Phil. Oh. I'm Rita. I'm Phil. Okay. Got it. Okay. Good to it, Chad. Go. Guys, this has been the best day of my life. Mine too. Mine too. Where are we going? Oh, let's not spoil it. <laughs> wow. I got that. <laughs> Mac and cheese out. <laughs> <laughs>